Yo. Yo. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired for fuck's sake. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired, yeah. Shots fired. Kairos. Shazanga. And we're back, unfortunately without G, but we do have the man in the mood, the legend, Kairos. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? And of course, Chisanga Malata. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't help myself, man. You teed it up, Kairos. <laughs> you teed it up. <laughs> oh my days. And of course, this is Shots Five. Now, bringing uh, our usual um, uh, hot topics to the table, I think it's only right that we start off with Kairos. All right, guys. We recently saw an interview where Dana White was talking about his recap and as well as his potential matchup of the year. One thing that striked a little bit a nerve in me is him talking about um, two things. One was him taking the course in the direction of this company in the direction that he saw fit regardless of what people said and if we look at the landscape of the UFC right now I feel like this was probably the largest step forward the organization has taken in a while like compared to when Connor was coming into the sport I feel like it's a similar comparison to that meteoric rise just because there was no other competition and no other sports leagues going on so they were putting out shows while no one else was doing it but then he also began to talk about how him I'm sorry, riding the ship in the direction that he did was kind of out of spite out of people saying that he can't. He always kept harping on the fact that he he makes sure he does decisions that a lot of people don't support because that drives him. People saying no to him. And one, the next thing I want to talk about is him talking about how he was trying to leverage Khabib competing again and returning to reach 30 and 0 against the wishes of his mother and it kind of made me feel a certain type of way because I felt like he was trying to use his father's motivation of him reaching 30 and 0 against his mother's wishes of him discontinuing fighting what do you guys think about that I kind of feel like it's a, it's kind of scumbaggy in my opinion Mr. Morgan do you want to take this one you are the habitual shot fire at Dana White so <laughs> <laughs> I feel that um we all know the scumbaggery that Dana White gets accused of. But I just feel there's just some gut kind of reaction to this that smacks of altruism. I don't know why, but the fact is, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov is renowned for his charity work. He's been, what, helping, um, well, Africa basically rebuild its water system. Now, I, I forget where in Africa, but it's quite clear that it's very close to his heart. He has a charitable bone and in his makeup, in his DNA. And I think that's part of this negotiation process. Can you just imagine? Mm-hmm. Let's just park all the scumbaggery that Dana White has been accused of and, you know, renowned for. Let's just park the fact that, you know, Khabib has everything that he really wants in life. I mean, money really is not going to change his life. But what will change his life? is if someone was to bolster, if someone was to actually add to, if someone was to actually improve upon his charitable work, let's just imagine for a second that part of the actual negotiating process 
actually covers donating significant, and we're talking life-changing funds to Khabib Nurmagomedov's um, charitable efforts. Can you imagine, let's just change this ever so slightly in terms of trajectory. Can you imagine that the funds that um, could be raised to actually uplift and could actually improve the lives of those people that he has been helping? But closer to home, closer to Khabib's home, let's just imagine that some of the funds or even uh, part of the funds um, by way of a split were devoted to actually improving the well-being and the, the, the social aspects of Dagestanis. Now, all I'm saying is that I feel that there is a altruistic or there is a charitable, charitable notion actually at play here in terms of the negotiations. I say this because what could you give to Khabib Nurmagomedov that he doesn't have already? And that is a charitable, benevolent um, fund that can make him actually exponentially change people's lives. And we're talking about people who he's helped in the past who have had terrible access to water, who've had unclean uh, water as basically their staple diet. Now, the life-changing work that could be done if that was supported could be phenomenal. And that's why I think that Dana is quite confident about this actually being landed, why he feels as though this is like almost there in terms of negotiation because he's appealing to the charitable aspect of Khabib the man. Yeah, Mike, I, I, I agree with uh, that that sentiment that you put out there, but I'll admit it was one that I didn't think of. It was a scenario that I really, really didn't think of. I initially just thought that, okay, maybe they'll offer Habib $100 million or, or, or what have you to get him to come back against Conor because realistically when we look at the landscape of the lightweight division the slim slim hope that i i still had for tony ferguson versus habib well and truly got smashed by charles Oliveira this this past weekend so and and george st pierre again if the fight's going to happen if the fight was going to happen it was going to have to happen in april before habib goes in ramadan and any later than that george st pierre is going to be 40 and what does a victory over a four-year-old George St. Pierre do for Habib's legacy, really, at this moment in time? Yes, George is, you could still say, one of the best mixed martial artists on the planet, going by uh, what we saw at MSG three years ago. But at this moment in time, it's, 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 it would be difficult to, to sell fans on, oh, yeah, yeah, Habib beating GSP. He's now essentially the greatest because people would say George is 40. Um, George was well past his prime so the matchup if Habib is coming back is it's going to be a rematch with Conor like make no bones about it they'll probably try to do an ultimate fighter out of it and then literally squeeze all the juice that they can out of this fruit that is the long-standing beef between team McGregor and team Habib and if that was the case the UFC would be able to as as you say they would be able to fulfill Habib Nurmagomedov's wishes to well improve the life the lives of millions and millions of African children across uh, I was about to say African children across the world of African children who don't have access to uh, to clean water and I think you're right in mm. saying that Dana is going to appeal to his philanthropic side that's the only way that you can entice Habib at this moment in time as you said beforehand Habib has everything he needs like he has he has the money like a lot of people don't even realize this but 
they think that oh he made all of his money like in the the fights that have happened after the corner fight immediately after the the corner fight he was meeting with all these shakes he was going he was being flown out this everywhere but he was he was meeting some some powerful powerful people who who i i believe have helped fund his uh his training is furthering his training and just his, his general life uh, because I, I think a lot of these sheikhs are just happy to see uh, a fellow Muslim at the top of the fight game and they're donating towards them and, and, and what have you. So Habib has acquired vast amounts of wealth. So as you said, the only way Dana can can convince him is to appeal to that philanthropic side. And if he is doing that, and if that is the way to get Habib back, then by all means, man, even I'll, I'll donate some of my, my poultry salary to, to Habib coming back if it's going to be for a good cause. <laughs> So it just it just depends now. Like I think a lot of it depends on what is going to happen with the actual outcome of their their meeting in January. I believe Dana said that they're going to meet. I think if I'm in, if I'm wrong, people feel free to uh, to at me. I think they said they're going to meet in the UAE or in the Middle East before um, before UFC two. Uh, I was about to say UFC two two nine, UFC two fifty seven, and obviously. The, the outcome of that meeting will determine what's going to happen with the the lightweight titles. So, a lot is riding on the, on that meeting, and hopefully, Dana can appeal to Habib's, as I keep saying, philanthropic side, and we can get him back for thirty. You know, but most importantly, kids across the world and kids in Dagestan and indeed wherever Habib wants to donate um, can have a better life. It's funny that you mentioned the fact that, you know, Khabib has had the support of oligarchs. He's rubbed shoulders yeah. with presidents. He's basically been in the company of billionaires. But I can imagine, and I can, I, I hope I'm not maligning anybody, but I can imagine that these billionaires, these men of money, of, uh, of significant value, have never actually stumped up the cash to say, you know what, we're going to invest significant amounts in your endeavors we're gonna basically back you and ensure that what you're doing for the kids in africa has um mm -hmm. more legs more leverage and um more traction to do exponential work now that's where i keep coming back to the fact that i think that's what dana is yeah offering. I, I, it must be to even get habib to 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 come to the negotiating table do you know what i mean like it because what what else can you entice him with? Yeah, you can say, oh, you can you can come and you can beat Connor again and you can get a hundred million dollars, but he's just gonna have the the same feeling as he did before. Like, I mean, the manner in which he beat Connor at UFC two uh, two twenty nine, it was it was so emphatic that there's no there's no there's no need for a rematch. Like let let's let's call a spade a spade, right? Okay, Connor came out and you said, yeah, I was drinking the week of the fight or and what have you, but. Nobody forced you to drink. Nobody forced you to slack off your training or whatever. This was a decision that you made, and ultimately you have to live with the repercussions of those decisions, the repercussions being the, uh, the emphatic loss that you suffered to Habib Nurmagomedov. So, as it, yeah, as, as it pertains to, to Dana enticing him, it, it has to be that. There, there's, there's, not, there's nothing else that I can, 
unless he's giving him a, a country or whatever, or, or unless he's giving him Fai <laughs> Island. I don't, I don't know if he struck a deal with the uh, Abu Dhabi Tourist Board or whatever. Obviously, I'm joking, people. Don't quote me and then put this out as an article. Journalist surmises Dana White is, <laughs> is giving him <laughs> Fai They would do that to you. <laughs> but, yeah, it has to be something along those lines for, uh, for Habib to come back. And, and I think as well that there, there is the added needle and leverage that I can imagine considering that Connor has actually put, <clears throat> excuse me, Dana White's uh, DMs on blast and actually into the public eye, that there is an element of, no, nah, I'm, I'm not saying that this is 100%, but I, I'd be very, very hard pressed to, to think that it hasn't actually gone down, that there's an element of Dana White saying to him, look, this guy oversteps boundaries. Look what he yeah. said to your wife. You go in there, you smash the fuck out this guy, and you close his mouth for good. You wire it shut. I can imagine that that sort of like needle actually ups the ante and ratcheted things up. But, you know, who's to say what is actually going on in terms of negotiation? But like I say, Dana White seems pretty certain. And I can't help but come back to the fact that he's giving him something that he has longed for in terms of support for his um, altruistic and his charitable yeah. notion, or or may, or maybe it's something historic to like a historic with uh, Russian mixed martial arts. I I don't know, like maybe a PI in the in in Russia, maybe like or or in Central Asia, it would make sense given like the amount of people that are coming out there. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, mm. but. Yeah. His his uh his new um MMA organization exactly yeah there's a feeder league the UFC. So I think can you imagine all, all manner of permutations that could be attracted. Mm-hmm. So to I Habib think that's right definitely now. one of them, and I think uh, Dan, uh Habib was saying uh, that he hopes for it to be on Fight Pass, or I think he said that a deal has been in uh has been reached a preliminary deal for uh for Eagles is it Eagle Fighting Championship? Yeah, it's EFC. Um, that's going to get confusing with EFC mm. in South Africa as well, but <laughs> but but anyway, yeah. So I think that's probably Dana White just slowly just stirring and sweetening the pot for Habib to to come back. So, but again, does Habib come back and go through all the all the vitriol that comes with the McGregor rematch? Because I've, I've, well, we all know Connor um, sent his heartfelt condolences when Habib's father uh, lost lost his life tragically in July but given the immense animosity that and and this this is real like animosity on-site animosity that even could spill over at UFC 257 because Umar Nurmagomedov is making his debut on that card and Habib is going to be there around fight week uh, and he's going to be there cornering him but that's another thing that we'll get onto. is 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 Habib going to want to delve back into that and will Habib well Connor sorry be able to control himself and not mention his father I'm not saying that Connor will overtly come out and say something about it but I'm just saying like in the heat of the moment you say you say things that you know are going to sting to your most uh, to your your to your sworn enemy that's what I was going to say and that's what Habib and Connor are so I'd like to think that wouldn't be the case and Connor would be able to compose himself and I think he probably is capable but at the same time there's there's that, there's always that possibility of something like that happening. I mean 
I think I think Connor's a different person after that loss. When you get humiliated like that after you act like that big of like an ass clown, like there's no way you cannot mm-hmm. change from that. And I think that he's changed from that as well. Like I don't I knew he wasn't gonna come out against Cowboy like, you suck, I'm gonna bend you yeah. over like a board. Just, I knew he wasn't gonna do that and he didn't do that. And then I don't think he's gonna act like that against Dustin Poirier either. And if he were to get this rematch with um Habib, I don't think he'd act like that either. I think that whole era that we're expecting Connor like to come back in, I think that's kinda gone. Just because he's he, I think he just feels like throughout everything that he's been through, I think he's a changed person, mm-hmm. not a changed person, but I feel like he's changed from those situations and he's not going to act like the same person that he was two, three years ago. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm glad I, I did talk out my ass earlier saying that I felt like he was be, like uh, Dana was being a um, scumbag. If humanitarianism is the driving force of what he's doing, I, I ain't got shit to say. More power yeah, to them. Agreed. Agreed. And what did you make of uh, the matchups that Dana said in that uh, interview with, with BT Sport? I mean, a lot of them are tasty, but there's one or two, man, that, or there's one in particular <laughs> that, I'm, uh, that I'm questioning. And I think you both know which uh, matchup I'm talking about. Yes, every single matchup makes perfect sense except for Carla Esparza versus Weili Zhang. As if we didn't have the greatest fight of the year with JJ versus Weili. And now we're not going to have that one. But then they also said that we aren't going to do Rose versus Weili because Rose apparently doesn't want the title fight. So guess so We're going to skip over Yan's Yonan and give Carla Esparza a shot. Granted, Carla has won like four fights in mm-hmm. a row or three fights in a row, something like that. But it's just like we're skipping over three names we're skipping over three names to give us this fight i don't no, like it i'm i'm, I'm in agreement with you and i don't mean to play down carla esparger's skill set she's uh, improved a lot since the uh the loss to joanna yonjacek which is back in the day when fighters had sponsors on their shorts people if you if you can imagine such a such a scenario uh I hope that one day comes back to the UFC because obviously fighters lost a lot of them lost about fifty percent of their income when that was uh, when that got taken away from them. But anyway, Carla Sparza, I, I don't want to sound crude and whatever, but she she got Joanna Yunjacek ran through her like a buzzsaw in that fight. I mean, you all remember how badly beaten up she was after that fight, and I envisage the same thing happening yeah. to uh, to her if if she fights Whaley. And like like you, Karis, I'm just frustrated. Why not make the rematch with uh, with Zhang? This is like uh, you could even have that fight as a headliner, as a as a pay per view headliner. Enough people have seen, like even casual fans have seen that fight and know how good that fight was. That yeah, it might not be a, a seven hundred fifty thousand or maybe even a five thousand pay per view event, but if you're really trying, if you're really invested in building uh, building Wei Li Zhang star power. And you want the whole of China to eventually tune in, you have to give her a headline slot. And why not do that early next year with a rematch against Joanna, who also has big drawing power herself. The entire nation of Poland, even well, even a lot of Eastern Europeans just root for her because it's a fellow Eastern Europeans. And I've I don't know if you remember, Mike, but in when uh, when Joanna fought, uh, she fought Karolina Kowalczyk at MSG in New York. There were a shit ton of Polish people in the crowd. Uh, cheering for them like they were a lot so Joanna's got pulling power Zhang I mean China what's the population China 1.1 billion or 1.2 billion I don't know but if you want to build her star give her the matchup with Joanna just just do it it makes sense it makes sense otherwise give it to Rose but but you see that that's just it 
I want to liken this to what happens in Hollywood with directors who essentially get to call the shots because they have the traction, they have the pull, they have the juice. So you give the studio something which they've asked for in terms of a narrative, mm-hmm. in terms of a film, and then you get to choose what you do in terms of your next move, in terms of your next film. For example, with Christopher Nolan, he gave them 1917. He gave the studio their war flick, their picture which they were baying for, something which they, in terms of narrative structure, in terms of narrative, wanted Mm -hmm. to see. Now, he came back with Tenet. Now, Tenet is intricately woven in terms of narrative structure, in terms of plot, in terms of the device that it used to tell a story. That's effectively Christopher Nolan's movie. He gets to do what he wants. So when you think about it, Yoanna Yin Jacek and Wally Zhang, they left their yeah. souls in there. They literally, like, you know, t- round for round, they went at it. Now, that to me is the UFC's fight. She's given them what they, what they were paying for. Now it's her time to kind of like, okay, uh. give me something now. I've put my soul on the line for you. I've literally, round for round, gone in there and faced down death, walked down death, and given you a fight of the year contender. For me, it's like a fight. It's a fight of decade contender. I know the decade I just want- started, Mike, but let's let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> like, come twenty twenty nine, we'll be talking about that fight for sure. Yeah. So Wiley Zhang, I feel, is in a situation or in a position to say, right. Give me my fight now. Give me something that I want. And this is it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh Lord. We ain't trying to see that. We don't want to. We don't care. That's not what you, you're trying to make it sound good. You know, I'll let it go the first time. I ain't letting it go this time, Mike. I can't. We can't rationalize this. I'm not. I mm. refuse to. Ra- if we want Wei Li to become such a big star, why not have her versus Yan as a co-main yeah. on a card? I don't think you could have that as a main. You could have Yoana and Wei Li as a main, but I don't think you could have those two as a main. But... If we want to build her as a star, fine. Let's give her another Chinese competitor to do. Or how about we just promote them outside of them actually fighting? Okay, great. She wants a give me fight. I guess if she thinks that Carla Esparza is a give me fight and she wants it that badly, why can't she do that after the fact? We have we have rankings yeah. for a reason. I, we always talk shit about the rankings and belittle them and everything. And the UFC is like, well, we got credited analysts doing these rankings. We don't know the names of them anymore, but I remember they had them for a while. If these people are so credited and we respect these rankings so much, why are we not abiding by them? Don't set the I, rules if you aren't going to abide by them. Am I gaslighting myself here in saying that? Have we heard or seen or even um, any kind of like inkling of fight talk from Joanna Yinjajic since then because it, it, remember she had a literal hematoma um, and who knows the underlying um, work that had to be done to reconstruct yeah. her face because it her face looked fractured now I've not heard like I say I, 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 I hope I'm gaslighting myself here because I get the feeling that her mind isn't in fighting. Her mind is a million miles away from getting back in the cage and doing that all yeah, over and again. She caused a stir like a while back because she tweeted like the uh, photo of her. I think she was living up. She lives in Miami, actually. Right, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, 
or or in Florida. She well, she could obviously trains at ATT, but one of the hashtags was like thirty three and retired. So and then she had to do. Do, do you remember that? Yeah. There so, you go. And then she then she had to like yes, kind of, I do. She had I, to they, kind they, of like walk back on it and say no, no, I'm not, I'm not, or whatever. But mm. yeah, like you say, I do. I I don't know if she's um. If, if she is that, if her head is 100% in, in the game. Because I remember a few years ago, it was kind of just a throwaway comment as well. And she was saying that, oh, yeah, she, she, at some point she wants to have family and everything like that. And with women, like, uh, uh, unlike us men who can pop kids out whenever, like, we can be eight years old and still and still and still and still produce children <laughs> that's not the same for for women and that's something female fighters have to think about obviously prime example being Mackenzie mm-hmm. Dern who recently just returned last weekend so yeah I don't know if her if her heart is is in it but I I think at this junk no I think what it is is she's either said to the UFC okay I'm I'm a former champion big draw in Europe like like it or not she is she she is one of the biggest stars in 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 European mixed martial arts. I just fought to uh like I just fought enough. I I'm I'm gonna say it in twenty twenty nine that we'll still be talking about that fight. In in nine years time and this Wednesday, Mike, in nine years time, I'm gonna remember you. I'm gonna remember this conversation. But anyway, she <laughs> yeah she she's all yeah as as you said all the chips are well, not all the chips are in her hands, but a lot of chips are in her favor to the UFC to ask for a, a pay bump, but. In this current climate, I don't think they want to. Uh, they, I, I, I don't think they want yeah. to. I mean, just look, they're they're laying off sixty people, which is which is. I I never thought they they they'd lay off that many people. Like you you hear you read some bloody elbow stories, and bloody elbow are very good about uh, writing stories about fighters who uh, get laid off. You hear like maybe maybe ten cuts at a time or or, or what have you, but never the yeah sixty. I, I mean, it's. That's like five years worth of cuts or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's, but anyway, I yeah. don't think the UFC want to pay Joanna, and I I don't want to belittle Carla Esparza by saying this, but this is probably just facts because of Joanna being a former champion or what what have you. I think that they're just getting her in as she's a she's a cheaper option, and obviously Carla is a former champion. Before people at me and say, "Oh well, you forgot Joanna beat or whatever," yes, but Joanna. Ioana was a champion who registered multiple title defenses. Pretty sure renegotiated two contracts as well during that time. So she would be on considerably more than Carla. So I think that's probably part of the UFC's reasoning in not giving us that fight. Wasn't it Carla who was defending the UFC about fighter pay a few months ago? I could be wrong, but I remember it was a straw weight. I think maybe, it was Carla. Maybe, like, I, I, I don't know, but <laughs> maybe that... It's, if it, if it is, if it, it makes is, sense. then Dana's like, oh, I, I, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, we'll give you the title shot. <laughs> Here's a gold star. Okay, they're fair enough. But what let about her, Rose? Yeah, let her have her moment. What about it's Rose? It's not going to let. Like, I... I <laughs> you guys said it last time. You said that the that Pat Barry came on Twitter and said that they, that they wanted the title shot, but they said that they didn't so it's just so confusing to me when you have people negotiating stuff and then dana says yeah they don't want to fight and then pat says well, we we do want to fight but we don't want to talk about the details <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean like out of the matchups in the strawweight division i think other than joanna versus jan that's the most compelling matchup for sure a hundred percent I mean, look how good Rose Namajunas was against Jessica Andrade in that rematch in Fight Island. Granted, in the third round, 
she had to uh, well, as as Mike said before, she had, she had to walk through mm-hmm. hell in in that in that third round. And I actually think if that was a yeah. five round fight, that fight might not have gone over gone yes. her way because the the tide had well and truly turned in that uh, in that uh, closing round. So, but again, I think that's the fight that you make other than uh, Joanna. But <laughs> Scrooge McDuck or Scrooge McDana <laughs> is trying to keep those pennies. <laughs> speaking of pennies and speaking of lower weights, um, it's well known that Brave um, CF have a hell of uh, investment behind them. And um, that's where it looks as though Nathan Grayson wants to head. He put up a tweet earlier this week to say, I want some action, some flyweight violence in 2021. Someone tag Mokayev, the young one from Mali. Now, who he was talking about, of course, was Mohamed Mokayev, who was cut a swathe through, um, well, the brave uh, CF roster. He, what, for a long while now, has been doing his thing on the amateur circuit, and he has basically uh, remained... Um, unbeaten and since turning pro again he's kept himself busy and basically has um, put himself out there in terms of a target now for um, our very own returning it looks like Nathan Grayson ex-Cage Warriors flyweight champ and um, I suppose you could also describe him as a um, Bellator vet having graced the Bellator cage but he's obviously caught the ire of um, Mohamed Mokayev, who has responded. Too many Twitter boys these days. Um, Hadley talking shit on Twitter, mm-hmm. talking about Jake Hadley. But when I direct messaged him uh, without trash talk publicly, he didn't accept the fight. Hadley called me out in 2017. He lost to Gittings, and five weeks later, I smashed Gittings. And he also went on to say, look, spoke to Brave. Nobody got in touch about this fight. Where are you, Nathan Grayson? I'm in the game. I offered to fight Jake Hadley in November, which he didn't accept. Now I'm calling out both of you for February. Whoever of you is too serious, please contact Brave next couple of days. Now, Nathan Grayson, and I can testify to this because he approached me over the last few days to ask me the details of um, the matchmaker for Brave FC, has now finally linked up with the matchmaker and um, Nathan Grayson's last tweet to Mohamed Mokayev is, look, check with them now. My question is this. What I'm bringing to the table is a conundrum. We've got a returning Nathan Grayson who has been out, what, coming up to 18 months. And for me, that is a very, very long layoff. Now, also, in the meantime, you've had this young upstart, this young warrior, this young lion, as it were, coming through ripping people's heads off in Mohamed Mokayev. Now, is that the sort of smoke that Nathan Grayson wants to return to? And is Nathan Grayson too much too soon for Mohamed Mokayev? I'm going to go with Chisanga first off. Violent money by name, violent money by nature. I mean, come on, we've... We've known Nathan Grayson for a long time and he's not one to ever shy away from mm-hmm. a challenge. And yeah, first of all, I'm just happy that he's reversed his retirement decision because I thought that was, was far too premature. Obviously, he had the the back-to-back losses to Cal Eleanor and 
uh, it was Franz Malambo he lost to last as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, mm. Obviously, I, I think maybe at that juncture, following those losses, his his head and heart wasn't fully in the game, and obviously the time off has given him time to to uh, set up this uh, violent money business or to further to further its development and it's going global as well Billy Joe Saunders was just rocking his uh, violent money socks his last fight as he made his ring walk as well so kudos to Mr. Grayson for that but to answer your question is it too much too soon to take on an undefeated killer let's okay so Muhammad is 4-0 and in, in, pro, in professional and he's 23-0 and as well Undefeated in his last twenty-seven fights, I I, I think so. Yeah. I think, but that's not me saying that I don't think Nathan Grayson has the skill set to beat him. I I I I think he I think he does. But this is this I believe would be more would ring true more so if it was Nathan Grayson who wasn't coming off a yeah as you say eighteen month layoff and yeah well yeah eight, eight, eighteen month layoff and I think they're talking about fighting in February so it'd be even longer come that time as well. Yeah. So, do I think well, and do I think it's too soon for for it? You know, sorry, I'm I'm getting confused. Do I think it's too much for him to come back to at this moment in time? I'm kind of leaning towards that, but I don't think he he's incapable of uh, winning the fight. Now, as it pertains to uh, Mohamed Makayev, is this the step up? To, is this step up too soon? Nah, I think it's a perfect time. I I I really really do. I mean. Obviously, he's been just running riot in uh, in Celtic Gladiator. Is it a Celtic Gladiator? He's fighting in as well. Yeah, Celtic Gladiator. Yeah, that's right. Celtic Celtic Gladiator. Brave he Celtic back Gla- between Celtic Gladiator. And fair play and for brave, both promotions yeah. allowing him to do that to gar- to get his experience because a lot of promotions wouldn't have work in tandem and allow that to happen. So I just think at this moment in time, given his extensive amateur background, twenty three and a three time IMF gold medalist, I think. You can throw him in at the at the deep end. At, okay, maybe not. I was about to say maybe not not the, the the full on deep end or what have you. But I think he needs to start edging into deeper waters sooner rather than later because you don't want to have him have this. Uh, well, what they do in boxing where they they pad out records and they they take a long a long time to to build up fighter skill sets. Where I don't think that's needed that mm. much with Mo, given the extensive experience he he has. Obviously, yes, he still needs to come on to a certain degree, yeah. but the skill the skills are there. There's just some additions and some sharpenings that need to need to be made. So to answer your question, I don't think it's too much too soon, and I think like obviously the the fight it works in his favor that Nathan hasn't fought in uh, in so long in, in nearly two years. So. I'm I'm pumped for it, man. I like the the back and forth between them. Obviously, it's not beef beef. It's 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 entertaining. I think uh, Mo's last tweet to to Nathan, he called him Nathan Farah, saying that he was running, is running like Mo Farah. So I'm <laughs> I'm all down for the fight as well. And one thing that a lot of people might not get from the from the way Mo uh, is speaks on Twitter, because obviously English isn't his first language. He's a very, very humble and down to earth guy. So when he's saying this, when he's saying very. this stuff, he's not saying it maliciously or or what have you. And obviously on Twitter, liking emails and liking text messages or wherever, you can't really discern people's tones from uh, from writing. But rest assured, people, he's saying this in a respectful way, and he just wants to smoke, as as he says. So bring on the Punisher against Nathan Grayson. Bring it on. 
Kairos, what do you think? Um, I know more about Mo than I do about you guys' boy, if we're just going to be honest. And I only know who Mo is because I watched a lot of, like, Tiger Muay Thai's training camps and vlogs. And he was on it, like, in the background because he had already gotten the scholarship to compete there. And, like, so I, I, I recognize his face. And I did some research while you guys were talking about him. I looked up his amateur career, and I'm just sitting here like... Ain't no way he needs to be taking this fight. Okay, I don't want to say he's ahead of that because he hasn't fought those level of competitors yet. But like, I don't think that he needs to take this. This guy is coming off yeah. of a year layoff, nineteen months, and you're about to fight someone who ain't never tasted defeat. And it's not like this guy goes to decision. This guy has finishes like eighty percent of his fights, maybe seventy five percent of his fights. He's like a box. He's like a modern day boxer where you have these boxers who have five thousand amateur fights and fifty two hundred yep. professional fights. So okay. Like you, your career, your professional career doesn't show how much experience you have, but you're probably the equivalent to someone who might have ten to twelve professional fights. I, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say yeah. no. You know what this kind of like reminds me of? It, it's almost like sorry to keep going back to film, but it's almost as though this is like a line from um, the Dark Knight, where I think it's um, sorry, the Dark Knight um, rises. It's where um, Bane says, "Look." You are only uh, adopted the dark. <laughs> I, was I was born, born in the darkness. Now, for for me, for me, for me, Nathan Grayson is coming from a dark place. This is a man who's gone through mm-hmm. the prison system and come out the other end. This is a man who, you know, the judge described before sending him down as, you know, one of the most heinous and quite cunning criminals in the UK. Now, for me, having come through that prison system having gone through that trial and the tribulation and to still be standing and really having the accolade which you know you really um, need to loud up as well as the flyweight or the cage warriors flyweight champ you really got to give him his due my only worry and i should say full disclosure here i love both men i've got a lot of time for both men i've personally helped um nathan grayson behind the scenes on a few bits and pieces the fact of the matter is this coming off this long layoff worries me it worries me because Mohammed mokayev is a killer he's shown time and time again in terms of repertoire in terms of what he brings to the table both on the feet and basically on the ground he is a certified sniper that isn't who you should be coming back to after a layoff Basically, what I'm saying is this. Whilst I agree, Nathan Grayson is a Riverside homie. I mean, shout out to Tupac (laughs) there in terms of um, reference. But, you know, he's a Riverside killer. You have to give Mohamed Makayev his due. He has been running this game since um, he came into the pro league. But not only that, I mean... His amateur pedigree has been basically steeped in experience and battle-testing himself to a level where he has honed not only his mental game, but his physical prowess, both, like I mentioned before, in the stand-up and on the ground. Like I keep trying to emphasise, look, I have to be unbiased when I look at this. I think this is a challenge. It is a monumental challenge. And if Nathan Grayson does actually come through this, he will go up in people's estimations like stratospheric. Because this, I think, is more of a um, more of a difficult conundrum to solve in the cage, um, which he's going to find when I he agree. gets there. I agree. And I'm glad that you, you pointed out the fact that 
Mohammed's skill set isn't as so uh, if one dimensional as a lot of people say a lot of people just draw comparisons to Habib Nurmagomedov oh yeah he's capable of wrestling or oh, he's from Dagestan or whatever but Mo can strike man mm. do you see the flying knee that he threw in uh, was it was it, yeah was it against Glenn yes. McVeigh that was was that his first yeah I mean yeah yeah his yeah. first uh, pro man I've exactly. been watching this guy people don't know you. people don't it's, it's like it's like all the people um, who who had watched Brave beforehand, and were saying that people don't know how good Chimaev is until like because some of the knockouts Chimaev has had in, in Brave have been have been stellar. So, and obviously he showcases uh, his striking prowess with the one punch against Gerald Mercer uh, earlier this year. But it's a similar thing with Mo. A lot of people think that he's very one dimensional, and a yeah. lot of people are going to be shocked. A lot of people are going to be shocked, but. I, I actually I'm I, I can't I can't I can't wait if this yeah. actually does take place I am pumped for it I can't wait yeah, to yeah, see yeah I was about to say look, to look, look um I spoke to Mo I'm trying to think when I speak to, I spoke to him a couple a, a couple of weeks ago actually and he said that he was targeting the winner of the the Brave flyweight tournament now obviously that tournament got delayed uh, mm. I think from covid or injury I I can't remember but he was targeting uh the, the winner who he thinks is going to be uh Jose Torres, he he thinks Torres is going to win the Joey Torres is going to win the the tournament, but I mean, <laughs> scrap that fight. Give me Nathan. Give me the Nathan Grayson fight. A hundred percent. Former former world mm-hmm. champion in, in in Cage Warriors, man. That's what you need. And also, while we're on the topic of Mo, actually, he actually said something very interesting to me. He when I, when I when I put it to him because obviously you know Mo also competes at, at bantamweight as well as flyweight. Obviously, the UFC are doing uh, their their latest uh, Ultimate Fighter series is going to be bantamweights, and I put it to him. I was like, "Okay, so did you did you contemplate going on to uh, tough, or w- w- was it not for you?" And he said to me flat as flat out, "He's like, I'm I'm above that. I'm I'm above that right now." It and I think it's true. A hundred percent. I think he's well and truly above that. And so there's your answer, mm-hmm. people. If you're wondering why Mikhaev isn't or isn't part of tough uh, next year. Because he's above it, and his extensive amateur record, oh, and three gold medals at IMF, explain exactly why he is. So we, so basically, we he don't need to be taking this fight. That's what, that's all I hear. All I hear is he should not be taking this fight. He he don't need to be doing this, and that's okay. It's it's no slight to your boy. When it's just. Too many things are going against him right now. You can't take this amount of time off. You can't have this differential in c- competitions. And like it's just like, nah, yeah. we don't we don't need to do this. There are and other options. Differential in terms of skill set. I didn't want to say that because that's your. But you also, said it. What, what I'm concerned about, Mike, is is what like obviously you know the the whole situation that's happened at Team Titan that the team is essentially no longer Team Titan whatsoever because uh, Brad Pickett's gone his, mm. uh, his, his separate ways and, and so, so, uh, so is Nathaniel Wood. Has Nathan been training during this time as well? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, because we haven't... He, he, he keeps a lot to himself on, on social media. He doesn't really share that much. So we don't, we don't know if he's been training during that time. Like, I'd, I'd, more, I'd fancy the chances more if I knew it, knowing that he was doing like, a, you know, a, if keeping, yeah, keeping, keeping the skills sharp, sharp, you know, kind of like when GSP went on that three-year mm. hiatus, but we all knew he was still training. I'd, if that was the case with Nathan, then yeah, I would fancy his chances more. But at this moment in time, I, I, I don't know if that's the case, if he has been training. So, I mean, I, I, I love the guy and I'm not saying this to um, 
to put down the skill set or whatever. But if if I had to bet money, I'd obviously bet on Mo. Agreed. Definitely agree. But I'm happy. I'd be Man. happily. I mean, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. You know. Yeah, as as difficult as it is to to agree, you know, facts are facts, and um, you know, I think it'd be hypocritical of me to say anything otherwise, given what I've already mm-hmm. said. You know what I mean? Love the guy. I've got a lot of time for him, a lot of respect for him, and um, he's like one of my favorite people in um, mixed martial arts. But I just think Mo isn't what you come back to. Speaking, I'm glad he's coming yeah. back, but yeah, not I, was, like I, was, I was just about to say, like the way he's been speaking. I'm happy. I'm happy that he's got the desire to come back and and fight. But yeah, it's 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 a tall order. It's a tall order. Anyway, while I've still got the mic, and while we're talking about favorite people in mixed martial arts, one of my favorite people in mixed martial arts, as you all know, I'm a I'm a Tony Ferguson. I was about to say D rider, but I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to be uh, <laughs> putting that out there for people to to edit and then and then. Have fun with the ad nauseum. Tony Ferguson suffered the second consecutive loss well, following his uh, imperious 12-fight win streak this past weekend. He lost to Charles Oliveira. And it was, uh, t- to call a spade a spade, I know I made that uh, reference beforehand. It was, a dominate, it was a dominant performance from Charles Oliveira. Tony Ferguson wasn't in that fight whatsoever. And... Understandably, given how dominant Charles was, a lot of people now are starting to question Tony Ferguson. Is this the decline of Tony Ferguson? Is this the end of, of Tony Ferguson? Personally, I don't agree. I think had Charles fought to- Tony Ferguson in, like in May when Justin Gaethje fought Tony Ferguson, I think that Charles Oliveira would have beaten Tony anyway. But that's neither here nor there. People can come at me in the comments or whatever. But that that's my wholehearted belief there's been this narrative now which i which i think came out yesterday late yesterday early today that a lot of people are predicting that tony ferguson might be one of the 60 fighters to be released from the ufc following his back-to-back losses and big john yeah yeah big john mccarthy talked about this on his podcast with uh the weighing in podcast with uh who's the former Josh Thompson, yeah, one of one of the baddest lightweights on the planet that people forget. Josh Thompson doesn't get enough love, and he he raised some good points. He raised the points that obviously, yeah, Tony's up there in age. He's thirty six, lost two fights in a row. He's a big earner, and not to mention, a lot of people think now he's going to be a gatekeeper, and really realistically, his route to the title is going to take him probably a good year and a half. To get back to title contention, if you're if you're if, if you look at how the lightweight division is, uh, is 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 playing out. So my question to you, and I'm gonna go to Kairos on this first: Is Tony Ferguson in danger of being one of the sixty fighters being released from the UFC? Fuck no! Who, I I I saw a lot of people <laughs> on the timeline raise the alarm. Defcon Five, Tony, you've done so much to the fans. You can retire now. He's like, bro, are y'all serious? This man's lost two fights in seven <laughs> years. Are y'all crazy? All it takes is two fights for him to be back in title contention. If he were to fight the winner of 
Darius versus Carlos Diego Ferreira, and he fights maybe the loser of McGregor versus Poirier, boom, and wins both of them, he's back in it. Or he fights somebody else. Maybe he fights mm -hmm. Paul Felder. Maybe he fight. I don't know. Liz, he's so, or Dan Hooker, he has so many winnable fights. He just only lost to two guys who are going to compete for world titles, for goodness sakes. And, ugh, like, I understand that people want to do this. They they prematurely want to call stuff out. They want to be predictory on things. But it's just like, this ain't it. And is he going to be in that 60? The UFC would go bankrupt the next day if something like that. <laughs> no, they but they would be stupid. <laughs> they would be stupid to do something like that. To let Tony Ferguson go after only losing two in a row when y'all got fighters who have lost like five straight fights when y'all got fighters who can't win two straight fights and over the span of five to six years still on the roster like that would never happen there are certain people on the roster who could lose close to 10 straight fights not no 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 i can't say who could lose close to five straight fights and not get released Tony Ferguson is of that elk. And for anybody to act like he needs to retire or that he's going to be cut, you're smoking dicks. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, but do you not see, like, another point that a lot of people, uh, and I think they quite rightly made this, uh, pointed this out, a lot of people also mentioned Tony's recent mental health issues as well as another factor as why the UFC could possibly let him go. Do you think that's that, that's fair to include that in that in in making that decision or like personally I don't and personally I don't think Tony Ferguson should be in well, should be even near a, a cutting conversation given his immense 12 fight win streak and the fact that he's just lost to probably the the third and fourth best fighters on uh, on the lightweight roster so is is it fair for people to be saying that Kairos or is people just tripping it's not it's not fair and it's ass like we are beyond what's fair it's just what is smart and what's dumb and that's just dumb and the people who suggest that he needs to i.e like take a break they're correct i think he needs to take a break i thought yeah, he, we were I saying he should have taken a break in between this fight michael morgan michael marasaki yamasaki morgan said he shouldn't do it but i told y'all <laughs> he needed to do it and look what happened i said he'd look like a shell of himself and that's what happened but i don't think it's attributed to him going on his yeah. decline though i think it's just attributed to him not taking a break especially with the way that he fights like he's never been this heavy athletic like reliant fighter he's the guy who's just gonna run up a mountain and you either gotta chase him or you gotta finish him and i promise you when it comes to him fighting five round fights there's not too many people who can beat him there's just not i feel like when it comes to three round fights he gets into a little bit of trouble because his style is a lot tougher to deal with in five because you have yeah. to maintain it for that amount of time and three you can you can deal with it but yeah, like Tony, he's he's still got much to give, and he can still find wind up in a title picture in the near future. Just how Aldo got TKO'd by Holloway two times in a row, then fought for a title literally three fights later. Like it's it's it, you, it can be done. It can be Mr. done. Mr. Morgan. Oh, I forgot to say actually. Shout out to Kairos Bodley for taking on the chin after discussing with us and um, a detailed discussion <laughs> that last week where we unanimously all decided that uh, Oliveira, Charles Oliveira, that was actually going to walk away with a victory and an emphatic victory. Um, he chose to go against the grain and uh, he chose to go with uh, against his betters and his <laughs> elders and uh, went with the crowd on uh, on Twitter and uh, was subsequently uh, disgraced. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> 
I'm fake. Y'all don't know if y'all don't know this yet. I'm fake. I'll tell you one thing and I'll change the direction and act like it ain't even happened. I'm super fake. That's how I'm gonna be successful. All right. But no, I I, I do agree with his sentiment though. There's no way that um Tony Ferguson's getting cut after that twelve um, fight win streak. I mean, look who he has fought of late. Now, albeit that I was not necessarily rubbishing him, but letting it be known, and I still do stand by this, that El Kikui has left the building. There is no more El Kikui. There's this demon, this uh, Nosferatu character has, uh, has given up the ghost. Because when you look at her, his last two outings, Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira, they are stone-cold killers. So it's no wonder that people are talking about the fact that uh, he needs to hang him up based on those performances. But also, I think what I, I don't like about that discussion is they're not giving enough um, props to Justin Gaethje, phenomenal yeah. athlete. Not giving enough props to Charles Oliveira, phenomenal athlete. You're talking about how this man, as in Tony Ferguson, has declined. No, he was beaten by two stone-cold killers. Yes, I don't see... Um, a lot of people making reference to the fact that John McCarthy, um, who does he work for again? Oh, that's <laughs> it. Um, competitor. competitor. Oh, who's that? Bellator. He's playing shots. So he is playing shots. Is he really going to be saying anything favorable? Is he going to be saying anything that is going to be um, informed by insider knowledge based on where he sits at a competitor's table? Now, as well as that, the way that I look at this is this is a two-fight winning streak, a losing streak. We're not looking at somebody who's over the past few months, years, been on a steady decline. These are just two fights which actually took place. And when you think about it in terms of succession, quick succession as well, in 2020, mm -hmm. this year, this man, I keep having to get, come around and remind people of this, took on two stone-cold killers and came up yep. short. Now... Just to underline the fact, the UFC have established a pattern of behavior here. They cut people after a lengthy losing streak, and we're talking three to four losing um, streaks in a five-fight um, uh, contract yeah. uh, accumulation. Now, the, the way that I look at this is after two fights, no, they're not going to cut him. No. After two losses, they're not going to cut him. No. And especially what he brings to the table, not only in the cage, but outside it as well. He is a very entertaining and has traction when it comes to videos, when it comes to actually putting um, entertaining words together that have traction. That's Tony Ferguson. So, no, he's not okay, cut. But also, and this was actually a, a pretty relevant point that John McCarthy raised. Tony Ferguson does have somewhat of a adversarial and that was the exact word that john used uh, relationship with the ufc like in the past he's accused them of blocking his his, uh, his path to to title glory and he's accused them of not liking him and and stuff like that so i mean those those type of things those are the type of things that, that the brass don't forget do you know what i mean and yeah but the the, the brass also don't forget that who makes the money that's who puts bums on seat i.e who actually um, puts money in the pay-per-view coffers. No, that's true. That. That's true. But you just never know. Like with with this, as, as Dana White said, we're going to be shocked with some of the names that, that come out on the. Well, I, I presume by uh, 
by December 31st, we'll, we'll know all the 60 fighters. So do I think it's going to be Tony? No, but would I be entirely surprised if, if that happens? Given, as I said, adversarial relationship is uh, pr- previous issues and back-to-back losses, I, I, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be shocked. I want to rework what Dana has actually put forward as this notion that we're going to be shocked by the names. We're not going to be shocked. So far, really and truly, (laughs) be, be honest, have you been shocked by the names that have been cut? No, because when you look into their background, when you look into their losing streak, that should come as no shock. Why are they being kept on the roster when this is a company who's in the business of making money and they cost so much? I think... We are going to be shocked at the um, fact that they have made this mm-hmm. decision. Not at the names that are being cut. You you weren't surprised that Rachel Osterine got shot, got got chopped. <laughs> put it this, put it this way. Um, I was shocked that she hadn't been cut yeah. before yeah. now. I'm, agree- yeah. I'm in agreement with you. That was the shocker yeah. there. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think it's just a matter of time before. Scott Coker just comes along, you know, that Spice Adams meme where she's rubbing his hands or whatever. <laughs> like he's gonna be coming along and offering her a contract. Oh, he, he shouldn't, shouldn't though. I mean I mean I think the dream for he will. I he think will. the dream the dream for Scott he would will. be to well, I don't know how how long Paige Van Zandt's <laughs> deal is at um is at BKFC. The dream for it is to get both of them over and then have that fight there. A hundred hundred percent. I mean to to draw in i was about to say the casuals but i, I think there's another word for the the the, the, uh, the you horny? you said that that phrase sir not me but <laughs> i'm just saying like what is the what what is the draw and have that one, know, that fight already know, happened exactly. we saw what happened the fight was ended already but it's just like okay and granted i just like I think Bellator is in the stage right now. We we talked about it. Bellator has taken so many strides where they are grabbing the youth. They're grabbing the future. They're grabbing people who the UFC are neglecting. And it's not just dinosaurs. They are grabbing young prospects who are <laughs> like, and not even just prospects. They're grabbing people in their primes too. You're going to grab someone who, if we're just going to be realistic, I think she should still be on the regional circuit, if not in like the earlier stages of Invicta matchmaking. Like, yeah. It, I'm just saying, like, no disrespect to her. She's a phenomenal athlete. I respect everybody, but just I don't think she should be in Bellator. I don't think she's in that level of ability. I, we got to stop acting like Bellator yeah. is a trash no, organization because it's not. It's, it's just I think not. She should, I think she should be in Bellator because when you think about it, they have had some serious inroads in Hawaii. That ah, fits okay, that yeah. narrative. That fits that structure. And when you also think about it, um, they do need someone to actually back up Lima Lane. Yeah, the fallen champion, obviously, as well. Let's not forget. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of fallen champion, um, we've got a host of fallen champions. When you look at this, um, actually, okay, it's not a host. We've got a few. I was trying to do a segue there, which wasn't working, so I just abandoned it. We do, we do have a couple of champions on there. Or, or, uh, you know what? Let me just done this champion talk. We have got a nice car this coming weekend. And <laughs> I just wondered, besides um, obviously the main event, and what are you looking forward to? Because for me, Michelle Pereira and Chaos Williams, that is going to be a bomb burner, fireworks. And I do see Chaos Williams just wrecking shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's uh, that's going to be a good fight. That's going to be a good like. 
What are you guys um, looking forward to? The man. Anytime Jose Aldo fights, Jose Aldo is the fight that I want to see, man. Against Cheeto Vera as well. Good lord, this is going to be a good fight. But do you know what I'm just praying for? I'm just praying for. I, I've lost you there. You're. Oh, you can barely hear me. Here. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Yes. sorry about that, guys. But as I was just eulogizing my featherweight goat, pound for pound king at one moment in time. Mr. Jose Aldo. That's the fight I'm looking forward to the most other than Wonderboy against Jeff Neal. And I just hope that the old Jose Aldo, the Jose Aldo, who he, who he kind of returned against Peter Yan, the Jose Aldo that throws leg kicks turns up against Marlon Vera because that could be a fascinating kickboxing matchup. If, if, if touching wood, I'm touching my wooden table here, if COVID doesn't scratch it. And don't blame me, people, if COVID does strike and takes that fight away from us that's the fight I'm looking forward to the most other than the main event mm-hmm. okay well that's a solid one listen listen y'all already know who I'm about to hype up on this fight card Natalia Santos she was supposed to fight last event she was supposed to send Montana De La Rosa to death row but she was granted clemency oh, through COVID I, I, she through survived COVID. she was granted clemency <laughs> but Talia Santos is going to railroad Jillian Robinson so badly that people are going to finally start acknowledging what type of fighter she is at 125 pounds. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be disgusting. And when we talk about people who can contend for the 125-pound title against Valentina Shevchenko, I think Talia Santos in about one to two years can be a formidable foe. Her, Viviani Arojo, and Jessica Andrade are the three best choices for people who can actually give her a competitive fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Like, Talia Santos really, really impressed me against Molly McCann in July. She really impressed me. Like, yeah, Mo- <laughs> Woo! And, Mo- Mo- and Molly was the highest she's been in the UFC. She was on a three-fight win streak, I, I believe. And, like, in each of Molly's fights, like a lot of people might not notice this because like ca- casuals might not watch each and every one of her fights but she showcases significant improvements whether it be with her footwork whether it be with her uh, evasive movement or with her boxing but Talia just yes. shut her down man and do you know how hard that is to do like literally exactly people beast. don't give her enough credit as uh, that she's they don't give her the credit that she's due so for me, when I saw that Molly beat uh, lost to uh, to Talia, like in the way that she like that she lost to Talia, like that made me like well share the same sentiment that you do, uh, Mike. No, it's Kyra's talking, talking about eulogizing Talia. It made me realize that she's she's a real threat at one at one twenty five. She's a real real threat. Mister Morgan, what's what's the fight that's mm. piquing your interest the most? I know other. Other than Pereira. Oh, other uh, than Pereira. Well, you know, I, I don't want to uh, tempt, tempt fate here, but I do like the look of the main mm-hmm. event. I love the look of the main event. The only thing that's playing in the back of my mind is, are, are we going to see the return of Stephen Killer Thompson? Forget the Wonder Boy. A man's a grown-ass oh. man. He's big age calling himself Wonder Boy. <laughs> Or, or are we going to see the decisionator? Are we going to see the nicest man on, on, on the planet of uh, mixed martial arts return to the cage? Now, that kind of like colors what I feel uh, we might see. But 
that's why I'm looking forward to it because of that possibility that we are going to see a return to those spinning uh, karate kicks and um, flamboyantness. But um, speaking of which, uh, I know that you've got a, a thing or two to say. Yeah, about, I Mr. spoke Thompson. to the the NMF, the nicest, <laughs> the nicest motherfucker in uh, <laughs> in, in mixed because he is man, <laughs> he is he's 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 a gentleman. He was obviously raised very well by his uh, by his parents. Yeah, I, I caught up with Stephen Thompson last week to preview this uh weekend's fight with jeff neal and we talked about an array of stuff obviously the fight we talked about his love of anime dragon ball z in particular uh for you ogn anime fans and we talked about the the welterweight title picture and the kind of stagnation that that's happened even though there are matchups penciled in so check out mr steven wonder boy thompson i emphasize wonder boy because i He's a wonderful man, Mike, but Wonder Boy is the name that's going to stick around forever. So check out what he had to say about his fight with Jeff Neal. So the last time I spoke to you was in the midst of the pandemic. And I, I, I remember we were talking about the fact that your uh, karate school had, had had to close. How have things been for you since then? And have things kind of gone back to normal for you or, or as normal as they can do? Yeah, as normal as they can. I mean, you know, Obviously, we're taking, we're still taking the precautions. We're sanitizing the mats, the chairs, the bleachers, everything we get a hold of. We got, you know, hand sanitizer stations all over the place. You know, we're in a twenty thousand square foot facility here in Simpsonville at Upstate Karate. This is our gym. We just moved into last October, so it was very difficult for us to actually close down as long as we did because we just moved into this facility. Yeah. You know. Um, but everything things are starting to get back to normal. Um, other sports aren't happening, so everybody's like wanted to do something so they're so they want to train martial arts which is awesome but still taking the precautions and um you know trying to keep everybody you know fairly separated uh which is kind of difficult to do we actually went online and we got innovative started doing some online stuff um but you can only do that for so long especially when you're working with kids yeah. that only lasts so long so slowly but surely getting back to normal and you, you talked about uh, teaching the kids there. How excited were they when, when you reopened the school? Oh, they were really, they were just excited just to get out of the house, <laughs> you know, let alone come in and break a sweat and um, get some work in. But uh, they are so excited, man. We're loving it. School's starting to get back, starting to get back to normal as well. Um, but kids have a lot of energy, man. They got to get it out somewhere. So what better place than here, you know? Um, where they're getting the energy out, they're getting in shape, they're learning martial arts skills, um, character building skills, which they don't get that a whole lot in other sports. So um, I think it's great, man. It's great. And you touched on it at the top of uh, the, the interview there. You'll be back in action next weekend, uh, UFC Vegas 17, taking on Jeff Neal. Now, how has your training camp been for this fight? Obviously, with the COVID restrictions, I'm sure you've had to be a lot more meticulous with your planning and who you bring in and everything. Yeah, mostly my, my close uh, friends, my close sparring partners, things like that. My buddy Carl Reed, who's, you know, fights at 205. He walks around about 240, very tall, uh, great striker and good wrestler. Got Chris Wybin coming in, who's only like an hour away from me now. He doesn't live in Long Island. He's a South Carolinian now. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know he'd moved. All right, fair enough. He moved. And I think the whole family is just, you know, from from the whole pandemic and the way things are going in New York, he just had to get out of there. He said, 
you know, crime rate and death rate has gone up 300% in New York City. Yeah. He said, it's just not a good place to, to, to raise kids anymore. And he's loving South Carolina. He's wondering why he didn't move down here years ago. But um, he's in between, he's in a place called Fort Mill, which is in between Charlotte and, and, and Greenville. So he's got family in Charlotte, family here. So he wanted to kind of be in between uh, the family. But he's going to be in uh, tomorrow night, help me get some drilling and some training in. Um, but it's great to have him here for sure. Um, but it, things haven't really changed. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the crowds are smaller, which that's how I prefer it when it comes to my training. You know, you don't have just random people coming in and trying to get some working with you. These people that I, that I've been training with for years there, they kind of know your body and, and, um, you know, aware of injuries can happen, but, um, they, they know what to do in, in, in different situations where you're not getting injured, you know? And those are, those are the kind of people that I like uh, to have around me, you know, good positive people, good training partners and so forth. So it's safe to say that the camp hasn't been too different, too just different from the ones you've, you had down the about in the years gone by. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not different at all. I mean, to be honest, just, just a little bit less people. That's about it. Training just as hard, uh, just as grueling as before, you know, um, keeping the cardio levels up, the wrestling, obviously, because at some point in time, I feel like Jeff Neal may want to use his wrestling. Um, um, so that's why I have Chris Wyman and Carl Reed coming in to help me out with this. So uh, it's great, man. It's great. Feeling good, feeling healthy. And normally you never feel 100% before you step out into a fight, but I feel great. And you, you, you touched on that. You raised an interesting point there. You said that you feel that Jeff Neal's going to be well, he might want to utilize his wrestling in, in this fight. Is that stylistically, how do you foresee the, the, the fight playing out? Do you think that he's going to go try to utilize his wrestling straight away? Because in his last two fights, he's been devastating with his striking. Yeah, and you normally see that. Like, he, he's definitely known as being a striker, good boxer. Mm -hmm. And he's actually been knocking some people out with head kicks. So that's another element that I have to watch out for. Yeah. But at some point in time with, uh, with my style and with anybody that I fight, I feel like they – at some point either try and control me or kind of try and keep me in a confined space. So keeping me up against the cage is, is definitely um, right up there for, for Jeff Neal to try and do, to try and keep me isolated, maybe use his wrestling, some clinch work, maybe to work his dirty boxing a little bit. So that's why I have Chris Wyman coming in, bigger opponent, high-level wrestler, strong opponent as well, uh, uh, sparring partner Chris Wyman, uh, and that's what he's been helping me out with you know, for me to be able to defend it off and keep the fight standing. But wherever the fight goes, I'm going to be ready for it. And when we spoke earlier in the summer, um, I, know, I know you were just recovering from your hands healing and, and everything, but it seemed that you, well, you did have your sights set on somebody in, in the top five. Obviously, that hasn't materialized. Is it a bit frustrating to be fighting somebody outside of the top 10? Or is the fact that Jeff Neal is on, I think he's on more like a seven fight win streak or six or seven fight win streak. Is that is that a good enough consolation prize for you? Because obviously there's a lot of hype behind him as well. He's a dark horse in the division. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I didn't think that this fight with Jeff Neal, um, um, I think it was going to be a great fight, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was setting my sights for somebody in the top five. Didn't pan out. But, <clears throat> you know, my last fight was ranked against the top 11, 12th guy. And here I am fighting him again, which, you know, I was in their shoes at one point as well before I fought Jake Ellenberg or Johnny Hendricks. Um, I was ranked, I think, the same as them. So to give them an opportunity, why not? You know, 
Um, and not only that, but to test myself against these new up and coming guys who've been killing, crushing people. Yeah. You know, Vicente Luque was super tough. I know Jeff Neal's going to be tough. He's on a five fight winning streak right now and finished most of his opponents. So, yeah, you know, it, it really doesn't matter at this point. Obviously, the top five is a little slow. So to get these fights wherever you can, it's, it's awesome. But not only that, but just tough opponents like these guys. Uh, it, it will be a good test for me as well. Mm. And this fight with Jeff will be, I, I believe, if I'm correct, that your first outing in 13 months. And I, if I'm correct, that's your, is that your longest layoff of your mixed martial arts career? It is. It's my longest. You know, I ended up breaking both my hands during the Vicente yeah. Luque fight, which took forever to heal. I don't know if it's just because you don't get good circulation in your hands, but <clears throat> it took forever. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then after all that was said and done, UFC was kind of coming back. Chris Wyman had a fight coming up. I was looking for a fight then, but I ended up getting dumped on my head and ended up tearing the cartilage in my collarbone. Oh, really? Um, so that set me out as well. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm, I'm 100% at this point and glad that I'm able to get a fight. I'm just happy to be where I am, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm yeah. just happy to be where I'm at. Get a fight, you know, got a fight going on main event now. So ready for five, five minute round war. And even though it was a three, five minute round fight, I still prepare for five fives. I still prepare for championship fights. It's just um, an extra, you know, confidence builder going into a fight. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask you as well. Was there any hesitation? In, well, obviously you've answered it there. I was going to ask if there was any hesitation in when the UFC came to you and told you that Leon versus Shemaev was off and they wanted you to do five fives. But obviously from your re reaction, there wasn't any whatsoever. Yeah, not at all. You know, that's something that I always – I've been in a lot of main event cards and a lot of five fives against some of the best fighters in the world. So I'm used to that and I like to keep – um, training for those fights, you know, it's just the mindset that you have, mm -hmm. even though I'm fighting uh, three fives to begin with, I was still training five fives. Mm -hmm. And you touched on it, uh, a few questions back, but you said that mm -hmm. the, the welterweight division, although the matchups have well been penciled in, but the, the top five, it's a bit slow. Is that a tad frustrating for you as well as somebody who still wants to get another shot <laughs> at the title? Yeah, it, it definitely is, you know, and, and I'm left with guys that are, they're not really left with guys, but, you know, having to fight guys that are ranked, uh, you know, 11 and 12, which I felt like I just did that against Vicente Luque. Yeah. You know, I was kind of poking at Leon Edwards there for a little bit on Twitter in the nicest way possible. <laughs> I was about but... to say, yeah, you did it in a, in a very cordial manner. Like it's probably the nicest call out in mixed martial arts history. <laughs> Thank you, man. But, uh, you know, he wasn't falling for the bait. And uh, it is kind of frustrating at this point, you know, seeing the top five right now, the guys are ranked above me, not a whole lot going on. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, with a good win over Jeff Neal, things kind of um, kind of maybe get the ball rolling a little bit with the top, with those top guys and get some fights going on and uh, work my way up. And I'm not giving up on the title. And, um, you know, uh, I, I feel like I have another title run in me. You know, I got to face Jeff Neal, of course, and I'm not taking this guy lightly. Anything can happen. And I know that firsthand, you know, facing off against Anthony Pettis. I was beating him, and next thing you know, I was out. So, um, you know, I, it, I'm not scared of that anymore. You know, I'm not nervous of that anymore because I've never been knocked out. Close to 80-something fights, 90-something fights, never been knocked out. And that was always a fear of mine. But to be honest with you, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, I just woke <laughs> up in the back, didn't have a headache. I was good. Uh-huh. But, um, 
you know, it's not a fear anymore. Now I can just go out there and fight. Mm -hmm. And well, obviously I just said there that the, although a lot of matchups have been penciled in, obviously you got Shamaya versus Leon and well, Colby versus uh, Jorge, but that's not been announced whatsoever. Do you feel that with those matchups in the books that you'd have to make a statement against Jeff Neal, like an emphatic victory to state your case for a title shot? I think so. I think so. You know, and you know, I, I normally don't go out there looking for the knockout. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I always visualize my hand being raised, but that said, I think a good win over Jeff Neal uh, in a good fashion will put me in the limelight again with the, with not just the fans, but the UFC to give me another uh, opponent in the top five. Somebody ranked above me. Okay. For, and over behind your left shoulder, is that Goku behind you? That is. Oh, uh, no, right here. Oh, no, the, the other side. Sorry, my bad. Right here? No, oh, right. right here. Keep going. No, that's not good. No, to. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting way? confused. The angles. Yeah, the skateboard. Is that the skateboard or snowboard? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's the skateboard. That's, uh, that is uh, Goku right there. I'm a huge Goku. I'm a, huge, I'm a big anime fan. I've got. Uh, I've got a lot of the Goku stuff from Japan okay, right wow. here. I've got uh, actually a fan made this. It's a it's a it's a Goku. Um, uh, what is it? It's like a it's like a it's like a metal work or whatever. Of oh, Goku. It? Okay. It's pretty cool. I'm a huge anime fan. One Punch Man, My Hero Academia. I love <laughs> it, man. I love it. Who is your favorite character in Dragon Ball Z? To be honest with you, it's not one that you would you would actually think. It's between two guys. Okay. And it's because, uh, number one, I'm obviously everybody loves Goku. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm more into the Cerebro part of the game, of the fight game. I love breaking fighters down. And that is kind of uh, Piccolo's territory. Uh, love I Piccolo, love man. Yeah. Like <laughs> Piccolo, I mean, he's such a Cerebro guy. Even though he's not the most powerful, he always ends up beating guys because he's intelligent. He's a very smart pot fighter. Him and Pycon. I don't know if you remember Pycon from the old Dragon Ball Z yeah. days. Yeah. Pycon, uh, he he's kind of he kind of looks like Piccolo, but he was a very cerebral fighter as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what would you say is uh, your move that's equivalent to Piccolo's special beam cannon? Remember that he uh, he killed Raditz and Goku after they have yes. behind with the special beam cannon. What's your equivalent move to that? I would say I, I really wouldn't say it would be like a special. Well, I, I guess so. Um, the the obviously my kicks. Yeah. My kicks will kind of be like the, the special beam cannon. You know, I finished my first opponent off with a head kick. Jake Ellenberg with a spin side, with a spin hook kick to the, to the noggin, to the dome piece. Um, and I love the side kick. So I, I would say it would be my kicks for sure. Okay, fair enough. And, right. and, and like with Goku, he's got the instant transmission where he just disappears and reappears somewhere yeah, that's, else. That's an unfair advantage that he can just like disappear and duck. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I feel like sometimes I, whenever I fight, the way I move, I kind of visualize I'm teleporting somewhere, you know, from from one side to the next, you know. Uh, whenever I spar, dude, I, I, I for real, go, like Dragon Ball Z was like my inspiration to train as hard as I could as yeah. as uh, when I was fighting in kickboxing because I used to sit up all night on uh, what was it, uh, Cartoon Network, man. Oh watching my God. Dragon Ball I used to live in the states as well, and it took years for Cartoon Network. For, uh, to arrive in the UK after I moved back home as a child. No way. So I got into um, I got into the, the Namek saga of uh, Dragon Ball Z, and then I moved back to the UK, and then I had to wait two years for the first season to come up, the Saiyan saga. Oh, oh. Yeah. It was terrible. And what I, what I hated about it was you'd be right at the very end of, like, uh, um, you know, one of the – like, like when – 
uh, when Goku first starts going to the Namek saga, like you said, when he was on the, on planet Namek, and then he's getting ready to turn Super Saiyan, and then they start all the way back over. Like oh, you no. miss it. They start the episodes all the way back. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So you got to wait like another two months or whatever, and half the episode of it is just them powering up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sitting there screaming the whole time. Ah, I was like, do something. Stop powering up and do something. Yeah, so, man. Sticking with like the Dragon Ball Z analogies, obviously we talked about um, Goku when he first turned Super Saiyan against Frieza when the planet is uh, destroying or whatever. What moment do you feel in your career was the moment that you leveled up, you stepped up to the next level? I felt like it was when I defeated Jake Ellenberger in the first round. It was my first main event. It was um, on a sun. It was on a Sunday. It was during the the. I think the was the. Uh, uh, UFC, the tough show yes, they had. And I'm pretty sure Usman was on that card as well. Mm -hmm. Usman was on the show. Now he's champion, which is great. Which is cool. You know, um, when I spin hook kicked him in the first round after getting knocked down in the first round, he dropped me in the first round with the right hand, got back up, ended up finishing him with a spin hook kick was like, was the time I felt like, all right, like I've, I've definitely leveled up for sure. And then defeating uh, Johnny Hendricks in the first round, yeah directly after that fight was another another time i felt like i had leveled up and it was just um each and every one of those was a test for me i was ranked back which is why you know i'm giving you know I, I feel okay giving these guys and that are ranked 11 and 12 a shot because i was in their shoes at one point you know trying to work my way up and those guys gave me that that chance so i think it's great for me to I, you know, to give guys like Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal a chance to work their way up, you know, um, obviously I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be fighting them as if they are the champions that they are the, they're holding the title right now. That's how I look at every fight I go into and I'm prepared for like a five, five minute round war, like the most grueling fight ever mentally. That's what I'm prepared for that way. If I go out there and finish them, you know, it's, 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 it's cool, but I'm prepared for that. And if you're prepared the opposite way, that you're just going to go out there and beat this guy in the first round. And then it becomes that grueling fight. I've seen people break mentally yeah. out there. You know, you start to see that confidence fade. So for me, it's reverse. I'm prepared for the most grueling fight ever. And um, mentally, that's what I'm prepared for. And that's what gives me confidence going out there, knowing that I am prepared for that. I've done everything in the gym to, to, to get ready for that. And that's another thing that goes back to the Dragon Ball Z days, you know, those guys preparing to fight Cell, you know, during the Cell saga. You know, they spent their time in, in the uh, um, the time chamber, you know, uh, preparing for that. You know, that that's as a kid, as a teenager and growing up kickboxing and stuff, that's what gave me kind of inspiration to train as hard as I could, you know, and I still keep that mindset. Okay. And I just wanted to get your predictions for, for, for a few fights or not necessarily prediction, just a, a breakdown, if you will. What are your thoughts on the Leon Edwards and Hamza Chimaev fight? Because the general consensus amongst many is that Hamza, who's only eight or nine and all, my, uh, my stats are, are going out of my head. A lot of people believe that he's going to run through Leon. And I, I for one, I for one don't, see, don't see it, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. You know, from what I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Hamza, to be honest with you. The only fight he's had at welterweight, and he's had one fight at welterweight, and he's ranked number 15, yeah. which is unheard of, you know? You know, I, I had to go through murder's row to get to where I'm at, 
you know, and so does, you know, I think Vicente Luque deserves a better, a better shot than him to fight Leon Edwards, right? Yeah, that's These guys point. had one fight at welterweight, and the guy was a lightweight. He was fought at 155, and he's on a he's 0 and 2. The the guy he beat at welterweight. Uh, I just haven't seen enough to to be confident in um, a win for Hamzat. You know, I've seen Leon Edwards fight. I know the adversity and the people that he's faced. Um, on paper, it's going to be Leon Edwards all day. Of course, anything can happen in a fight, and yeah, maybe Hamzat goes out there and beats him. But if you're fighting in the UFC, I don't care if you're ranked at the bottom or if you're ranked at the top, you know, you're a scary dude. You're, you're good. Any, you know, everybody's got a puncher's chance, um, a wrestling chance to get their opponent down. But I just don't see it at this point. Uh, Hamzat go, uh, going out there. I just haven't seen enough of him. I think Leon's going to, I think Leon's going to win. <clears throat> and going back to your fight with uh, Jeff Neal in your head, how does it play out? Um, you know, Jeff Neal, he's got very good boxing and, Something in me just feels like at some point in time he's going to try and use his wrestling or use his he's, – he's a, he's a strong, physical, physically strong welterweight. I think he's going to try and use his strength to hit me up against the fence, use his dirty boxing there. So that's one of the reasons why I've got Chris Weidman coming in. He's actually coming in tomorrow as well, been helping me out in this camp. i got a, a buddy, Carl Reed, who's a great striker, a very well-rounded fighter. He's a 205er, but he's an amazing striker and, and very, very fast. Uh, to try and bully me around, to use their their physiques and their strength to to hit me up against the fence, to use the wrestling to try and take me down. At some point in time, I feel like he's going to try and use his wrestling. So to be honest with you, wherever the fight goes, I'm going I'm to be ready for it. But at the end of the day, I see my hand raised at the end at, at the end of this fight. Mm-hmm. And a final question for me, it's incumbent upon me to ask this because obviously we're going into the new year in just a couple of weeks. What does 2021 hold for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson? Well, with a good win over Jeff Neal, 2021 obviously is going to be that next track to the belt. You know, hopefully I'll get somebody in the top five, work my way up, one or two fights, and I'll be fighting for the title again. And to be honest, like with you, I'm like the only guy in the top five, really, um, who hasn't fought Usman. Yeah. You know, except for, um, except for Burns. So I think that would be a, a great matchup for both of us um, to be able to face each other. I mean, he's faced everybody else except for me. So, um, you know, I've got mad respect for Usman. And he's a very opponent. But my first thing, the, the, the first thing's first, I've got to get there. I've got to beat Jeff Neal. And that's the first guy that – and the only guy that I have in my mind right now is Jeff Neal. I've got to face off against him December 19th, and that's who I'm preparing for. After that, then we'll, we'll keep we'll, – we'll move on to the next opponent. All right, Stephen, as always, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for the time today. Enjoy the rest of your day in the sunshine over there because it's pitch black here in the UK now. But, no! Yeah, <laughs> no, it's dark by like four o'clock already. And it's, wow. uh, yeah, but it is what it is. Okay, guys, we're back. So I wanted to come to you, Kairos, first. What do you make of Wonderboy complaining about the stagnation in the welterweight division, even though we know some of the matchups that are going to happen early next year. It's rightly justified, but at the same time, he has to understand this. Him and Jeff Neal are in the exact same situation. When you go out there and have, well, in Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's case, he has such a tough style to deal with. 
people don't want to get up in there and fucking fight you. That's the problem. The stagnation is in your career and with mm -hmm. you as a person. That's first and foremost. Welchweight is a little bit stagnant, but it's more so with you because nobody wants to fucking fight you. Same thing with Jeff Neal. When you go out there and destroy people like that, who's going to sign to fight you? Especially if they're above you in the rank. Why on earth? Would someone above you in the rankings want to fight you? The risk is just too great. That's why they have to pair you mm -hmm. two together. This is gonna this is gonna kill all stagnation for you guys. I think the winner of this one is gonna fight for the title next. Unfortunately, though, I don't think it's gonna go down that way for Wonder Boy. Mm -hmm. I I like both these guys. These are my two favorite welterweights in the division. But I don't think it's going down mm -hmm. like that for him. Mike, I wanted to come to you about a specific thing that uh, that Wonder Boy mm -hmm. said. And it really did resonate with me when when he said this, and there was a lot of conviction in his voice when he mentioned it. And that was that he kind of feels that he needs an emphatic win to get the title shot, because realistically, he is close to a title shot. Do you think that he needs to put a statement and, as you say, go back to the Wonder Boy that we saw before the, the Tyron Woodley fight to get that title shot? It's exactly that. Dana will be looking at this um, from wherever he's holidaying and thinking, how do I put together a highlight reel based mm -hmm. on the finish? If he's going to give me a decision, that is going to be now and impossible. That's what people love to see in terms of building up a fight, getting excitement, getting traction. They want to see finishes in that highlight. So far, to be honest with you, whilst he's flamboyant, we're not getting an awful yeah. lot of those. And the thing is this... In terms of um, him like expressing his worth, um, he knows where it's at. He knows what he has to do. And I'm pleased that he brought that to the table in terms of how he feels he has to fix things. Yep, give us that finish. Give Dana his highlight reel. You'll get close to that title shot quicker okay, than you Okay, so I, I kind of take umbrage with the little thing that you said about give us that finish. He beat the brakes off Vicente Luque in, 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 in the last fight last year. And I think it was just Luque's toughness that just got him through that fight. So he didn't Did he finish, finish him, him? Oh, Mike. But I'm saying... I'm, Where's the highlight reel, man? Give me a highlight. Give me a highlight reel. You know, like he out. dropped him twice. Like he dropped, was it a straight left that he dropped him with? And was it a head kick? Like if... Yeah. Where's the oh, knockout? Come on. Where's the finish? <laughs> Mike, you know, I agree. I agree a little bit. I agree a little yes. bit with that. When you were that superior to an opponent, it's your duty. It is your Thank duty you. to get them out of there. You can't, yep. you, oh, I'm so much better. I don't have to finish you. I, I don't know, man. You I, got okay, it. Got I, see, it. I see your point, but the point I was trying to make mm. was it was he did everything he could to get Vicente out of there, but Vicente is just, as we know, is just too tough for his uh, for his own good another thing that really resonated with <laughs> wonder boy and it I, I think it was probably one of the things that made the that had the lasting imprint and when i left the interview or turned off the interview on zoom that i was thinking of the most it was that you're saying that he's happy to fight these lower ranked guys to give them the opportunity because he was once them when he was going for uh for, for going for gold uh, I was about to say many moons ago it wasn't that long ago when he was going uh, when he was building up to a, a title shot a few years ago what did you think of him saying that Mike? Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is full of shit if you're talking about getting into title contention if you're talking about stagnation if you're talking about the state of the welterweight division why are you so um, hell bent on basically just 
playing the company guy, playing the role, and taking people at this caliber. Now, the way I look at it is, no, get out there, mm-hmm. be ferocious, look for that finish, give us the finish. Everything he's saying right here, right now, is answering everything that you asked him about and you discussed with him about the stagnation of the division. He is one of the stagnators. He is the habitual stagnator because of the way in which he fights, because of the way in which he's happy just to say, yeah, okay, I'll plot along. I'll be the company guy. I'll be the nicest motherfucker in, in 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 the division. Okay, fine. Well, stagnate then. Okay, but going back to the, the specific point that I think you've like, he's happy to give these guys the the chance to because like as Kyra said, nobody wants to fight Jeff Neal considering like he just uh, he just marked two people. Uh, who was it? Mike Perry last stopped with a head kick last year or yeah. So yes. I mean, I I think it says a lot a, a lot about him as a competitor that he's willing to face somebody who is a dark horse in the division and a lot of people regard to to be a huge threat and as as a person as well that he's like okay let's not dress this up though why is he here he's here because what happened with well i think it was if i am i getting my wires on my 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 uh my uh my my chronology twisted here but wasn't he offered Leon? No, he. Well, you know, it was Leon that uh, turned it down. Remember, Leon came and said that he, uh, the well, Ariel outed Leon and said, "Oh, Leon turned down four fights." And then Leon basically, <laughs> like in that interview that he did, he confirmed it. And he said he did offer me oh, Wonder okay. Boy. And remember, Wonder okay. Boy was the one who called yeah. him out. It's just that 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 what I'm saying is that consistently, what you were saying mm-hmm. in the interview with him is about stagnation and if if this is a way of actually cutting through stagnation and giving people the opportunity and the chance to actually compete against him i'm i'm i remain unconvinced okay all right kairos what your what's your thoughts on it That wasn't the answer you were looking for was it You shut down so fast. Okay. okay. Um, as far I, that was so funny. Anyway, as far as stagnation is concerned, I can understand him saying, "Yeah, I'm trying to take the I'm I'm take I'm giving these lower ranked people opportunities because that's what was given to me, and it sounds good." But if that was the truth, you probably mm-hmm. would have had a lot more fights in from your last to now and like that sort of thing. But you know what? Fine. Let's just assume you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue with Wonderboy is this. He gets very close. He gets very close a lot of times, but something always comes in his way. And what mm-hmm. is that? A counter hook every single time. A hook is what sends Wonderboy on his way. You saw it against Darren Till. He was this close to getting his rematch, got dropped with a hook against the cage, lost by points. This close to winning a title against Woodley the first time, dropped with the hook, loses the points. Gets this close again in the rematch against Woodley, dropped with the hook. Loses on points. Um, fights uh, Anthony Pettis. Tearing him up. Last minute of the round. Drops with a Superman hook. <laughs> ends TKO. So it's just like, okay. You, he's been given opportunities. He has Thank had you. these opportunities. He's just yeah. not capitalizing. So his stagnation is none other than his own doing. Ooh, I yeah. like Wonder Boy. I like watching him. I'm a fan of him, but I'm not going to lie for him. I'm not, I don't have lying loyalty for nobody. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, based off of this, 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 no, it is him. 
his situation, his destiny is in his hands again. Thank and you. truth be told, he might fuck it up again this weekend when he gets dropped with a hook in the last minute of a single round, and then he loses on points or gets TKO'd. I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry, Wonder Boy. I didn't it might be done. This, was, uh, this episode was entitled The, the Lynching of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. <laughs> it will be now. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> I. I, I I see through the facade. He ain't nice. I see through this. Did you see the interview? He's not a nice guy. He did this interview with ESPN or no, no. He did this interview with MMA on point and he was talking about fighting um, scenes for movies. This man was critiquing everyone saying this ain't that, this ain't that. And he's like, if I'm in a street fight, I'm kicking in the nuts. I'm kicking in the balls. I don't care. I'm gouging out eyes. I'm like, he ain't a nice guy. He got y'all fool. He ain't nice. Oh, gosh. Well, I disagree. I think he's a, a nice gentleman. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. I think he's I think he's a, a wonderful gentleman. So, but it'll be interesting to see who wins that that battle of uh, well, the uh, the tried and tested battle veteran and the up and coming prospect. I mean, I don't want to just sound biased and say that I'm I'm picking Wonder Boy, but I am, I am going with Wonder Boy in this fight. We know. Mike, what's, <laughs> what's your prediction, Mike? I'm going with Neil. Mm-hmm. And what, what are you basing that prediction on? Just based on the fact that I feel that he's there to, well, upset the upcut for a start, but secondly, to lay down a statement, I just don't see... I, I, I don't really know how... You take someone from a karate background who's mm-hmm. used to points fighting and then you say finish. Well, that isn't the nature of point fighting. And I think that Jeff Neal's going to see that and just, you know, try and just walk through him. Fair enough. And Kairos, I assume you're going the same way as Mike. Yeah, I think the issue is that Wonder Boy's style, for him to win fights, if he's not going to finish you, he has to be perfect for 25 minutes. He has to be perfect defensively for 25. And his defense is one of the best. You have to overcome distance, his agility, and his movement. And then you have to get through his strikes once you cover those first two things. And for the most part, people are held at bay. They're held at bay for an eternity. And he'll win a decision. But the second they start walking through the strikes, they start getting a little bit more confident. Or they get Wonder Boy to overextend. That's when he always gets hammered. It happens every single time. He's perfect Mm -hmm. for 24 minutes. And in that one minute... That's when he loses the fight, whether it's because he gets dropped and it's a close fight and he gets 10 aided or he gets finished. And that's what's going to happen. Neil is going to bide his time. Maybe he'll get picked apart for the first round. Maybe he'll get picked apart for the second round. Third round, Jeff is going to start walking through the strikes Mm -hmm. and he's going to start countering with some hooks. And when he starts countering with some hooks, here come the fucking kicks because hands of steel is very misleading because it's really he's throwing them kicks after them punches. And I don't see a scenario where Wonder Boy is going to take the punishment that he was able to take against Woodley, against Jeff yeah. Neal. I just don't yeah. see it. Fair enough. Yeah. Kairos, we've been podcasting way too long together because we're starting to agree <laughs> with each other. We're starting yeah, to say exactly the same things. What is going on? What is this world Next coming week we'll to? be at each other's necks. It is, it's, it's, it depends on the day. It, depend, it really does depend on the day. <laughs> you know what? Next, next week I'm going to be flying around fighting crime because I'll have my f- superpowers by then. 21st oh, yeah. December. <laughs> Black man's going to rise up. Black man's going to have extraordinary superpowers. And uh, that's what I'm going to be uh, spending my, well, spending the rest of the year doing fighting crime. Well, anyway. Fighting crime or causing crime? I feel like you'd cause crime. It's the, fighting crime. 
Okay. Okay. I'm causing crime. <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm doing. I'm guessing that you all saw this bullshit yeah, that's been going across yeah, the internet yes. about on the 21st of December. Everybody with melanin is going to develop superpowers <laughs> and uh, you're coming to the true self. Their DNA is going to actually manifest. Oh, God. And uh, <laughs> where, do, where do these come from? Please. I know we're digressing, <laughs> but where, where, where do these, these bullshit I don't notions know, come from? If I wake up. I thought it was a joke at first until legitimately I saw hella people tweeting about it. And I was thinking to myself, I don't think it's a joke anymore. I don't think it's a joke at all. What day is December 21st? Is that the Monday? Yeah. Okay, (laughs) Okay, so on Monday, I'm just going to wake up, like, (laughs) full-on Black Panther suit, be jacked. Like, do do, do you know know what I mean? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Like... It's just, and some of the memes that I've seen that have come out from this, oh lord, they're just, they're just hilarious. But ridiculous. They better pray we don't get powers because if Doctor Umar Johnson gets some powers, oh lord, the White House is going down. Separate the weak from the oxa. Leap hard to creep the Brooklyn street. It's on again. Stop all that bickering beat.